0: Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Happier Me Live. And I'm Dr. Manoj Krishna, the founder of Happier Me. And today I'm joined by Martha Van Dam, who is a psychotherapist in Florida and with my friends and guests from around the world. We're going to be talking about past trauma, how it affects our relationships, our mental and physical health, our performance at work, and how a deeper understanding of it can help support others who are suffering. Um, So at the end of this session, which I think Martha and I will talk about 40 minutes and then I'd really value all your uh, contributions, but I'm hoping to create a capsule that will help others who come across it uh, in the future. So Martha, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here, Manoj. I've enjoyed when we've done this before and I'm thrilled that there's so many people here.
0: Yes, we've had a lot of people um, register and take an interest in in, um, today. So let's see what we can do together. Why do you think, let's start with my first question. Why do you think um, this is important? Mm.
1: And because it's so common, so, so common. I think most people at some point in time come in touch with trauma in some way. Mm. but that awful lot of the people, a large percentage of the people will face something really serious at some point in their life.
0: Yes. I mean, they say about 70% of people have suffered past trauma. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a lot. Do you find that's, that's kind of roughly what you see in your practice?
1: <laughs> well, my practice, since, my, since all the people that are coming to me have some sort of problem, I probably have a higher percentage of trauma come through my office than is the general population, yeah. but, but I just see it so much. And I also see people who have no idea how their previous trauma is affecting them today, that it's still coming along and infecting their lives.
0: Yes. So I think the main thing we're going to be sharing is how trauma impacts our minds in ways we're not aware of and shapes our behavior and our thoughts and feelings
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the people around us. And a deeper understanding can help us heal ourselves and support others, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in so many ways. I was reading that 15% of teenagers develop PTSD after a traumatic event. And we were talking earlier about how, when trauma begins earlier in childhood, it has a bigger impact.
1: Yes, much, and sometimes more difficult to tag into what it, where it actually started. If it started in childhood, it may not be egregious, it can be small, but still difficult maybe to to figure out exactly what happened and why am I feeling
0: Yes. And we also said that the person who suffered trauma in the past Mm -hmm. has got more likelihood of experiencing a feeling of trauma going forward. It's as though it's out?
1: cumulative. Yes, I believe it. It's as though it's cumulative, and it's as though the brain, the brain is trying very hard to deal with the trauma it has experienced. But as more and more and more traumas come, it's as though it just becomes too much, and eventually, a person has a traumatic, a, a, a break or um, a, a response that's bigger than it ever had been before.
0: Yes. Yes. And yeah as you say the traumas accumulative, but also our mind becomes much more sensitive so the smallest yes. uh, you need a much smaller trigger for it yes. to experience that as trauma yes. that criticism yes. could be experienced trauma. as trauma in someone yes. who's already suffering if you know what i mean
1: yes 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 yes
0: okay yes. what are the common causes of trauma i mean i know there's a very long list but maybe we could mention a few
1: Sure, sure. Um, so, of course, there's physical and sexual abuse or trauma in some way. Uh, one of your ladies, the bereavement, yes. certain bereavements can cause, and it's interesting, may cause trauma for one and not for another person, but certainly bereavement. Losses, we're, we're faced with so much loss throughout our life, jobs, our livelihood, our homes, a home can burn down, a child gets a terrible illness um money issues war what else? i mean
0: just look at the number of people caught up in war last year three about people died in war in the last yeah. century it was 200 million can you imagine the trauma yes. caused a single person's death causes so much trauma you can imagine it multiplied so many and times.
1: then traumatic death can we imagine what it's going to be like in israel and oh, gaza no. Yes. Uh, years, years from now, there will be leftover traumatic results no, I from. Yes. Take sick
3: time because I'm doing zoom calls
0: today.
2: Yes. Olga, you- Oh,
1: there she goes. There we go. <laughs> That's
0: okay. Um, so yes, and so can you imagine the leftover traumas you're saying from all the suffering in the war zones around the world. You know right now there are about 29 active wars or conflicts in the world. And the suffering, uh, all that causes is, is uh, yeah, well, let's not, we can't even begin that. But illness causes um, yes, sense of trauma. You know, cancer, for example.
1: Yes. I think the diagnosis itself is a traumatic experience. And then the treatments can be traumatic. And then the fears left over about it may come back, I may die, that can end up being traumatic.
0: Yes. But we were mm-hmm. speaking about how, though the causes of trauma are so... Mm-hmm. But actually, the effect, the impact it has on our body and our mind is probably the same.
2: Sure, sure, sure. And that's what we're going
0: to unpick. Okay.
2: So what
0: are the different ways in which trauma impacts us? Imagine it's happening to you rather Mm -hmm. than without your own awareness. That's the key thing. Trauma impacts our lives in ways we're not aware of, or we don't connect what we're thinking and feeling with what's happened.
1: True, true. We don't realize the changes that are happening in our brain and we may be developing beliefs, beliefs that I don't have control of my life or that I that I am a victim or that that these things are happening and there's nothing I can do about them. We kind of develop some beliefs, unaware at the time that they're that they're forming.
0: (laughs) Okay. well. As you said, the first thing is we start feeling like a victim of our Mm. circumstances. Mm -hmm. Why me? You know, all of that. And it's not when I say you start feeling, it's not like you're deliberately doing that. You see, Mm -mm. your mind is doing that to you. I mean, that's the key thing to communicate. Um, Yeah. It happens to everyone unless you have an awareness of what's happening. And then maybe you can do something about it.
1: Manash, i think the point is that that you're saying that, that um trauma changes the brain and yeah. once because it's it's creating neural networks it's changing the pathways and when it does that it is changed and we then respond changed
0: yes so we become more quick to anger we yeah. uh, feel guilt shame we find it mm-hmm. difficult to form close relationships or intimate relationships yes. we blame others for how we feel and we mm-hmm. find it really difficult to love others. And therefore, our relationships are unstable, right? Because all relationships need an investment of love. And if I cannot offer love in that relationship mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of my suffering, because my mind is taken up by my own suffering.
1: Right. Or if I can't feel safe with the love the other person is giving me, I can't yes. feel safe with that. That also impacts the relationship.
0: So uh, so we often end up, if we've suffered trauma in the past, having a lot of unstable relationships, which adds to our own unhappiness, do you understand?
1: Mm-hmm. And our self-blame. Yes. There's something wrong with me. I can't, I can't manage a relationship.
0: Yes. Anxiety that it might happen again. Maybe we feel Depression. vulnerable. As you said, we don't feel safe. Mm-mm. 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 So we might shut ourselves off from the world, from all relationships or make sure they're really superficial so nobody can get close to us, you see.
1: Yes. And as you mentioned, something happens to us and we're very quick to respond. We don't realize that we're respond our, our brain is responding to all those neural networks. Yes.
0: And if you have children, then you or if you are in a relationship, then there's a great need to control your environment. Mm-hmm. Yes. What yes. the children are doing and not doing what your partner is doing and not doing. Yes. Just so that you make yourself feel safe from any potential harm that might occur and then of course it can cause other mental health problems right depression I think is four times more likely Uh, attempted suicide is 11 times more likely Mm -hmm. Um, and low self-esteem loss of hope as Mm -hmm. you said Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what about Mm -hmm. dissociation you were talking about that the other day when we spoke Martha.
1: Yes. yes, It's an amazing thing that the brain does, but um, but I have seen it a couple of times where someone is traumatized very severely and the brain learns to protect itself by separating from what's happening. And then so that the brain learns to do this little separation thing and, um, oh, and that can be a lifelong impact once the brain has learned to do that. And people don't realize that their brain is disassociating in massive ways. All of us disassociate a little bit from time to time, but in very strong ways.
0: Yes. And <clears throat> research is now showing that past trauma also impacts our physical health. Yes. And we were talking about the potential link between that and cancer, lung disease, heart disease, autoimmune disease. Autoimmune. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. You know, so Absolutely. many
0: uh, disorders. Um, and um, yes.
3: Yes. I agree
1: with that. Tim's mm-hmm.
0: just mentioned that, and by the way, I'd encourage everyone to pop your comments in the chat. Tim's yes. just mentioned that on a smaller level, we need to act according to social norms that force mm-hmm. us to ignore or minimize our trauma.
2: So true. So we so have to true.
0: pretend that we've not suffered, yes. you see what I mean? In right. order to be accepted in workplaces right. and in our relationships right. and so and on. so
1: then our focus becomes fitting in Instead of managing and healing what we need to manage and heal, we have to fit in.
0: Yes, and that, that creates its own anxiety. What others are going to think of me? <laughs> <laughs> How am I coming across to others? You know, And right. that can be all-consuming as well,
2: right? Sure, sure, okay. sure.
0: And one of the other big links between past trauma is with addiction, with substance abuse. One mm-hmm. in six people in the United States, I'm sure around the world, have mm-hmm. a substance mm-hmm. abuse problem and that's mm-hmm. under-reported, I'm sure. So that's a huge number. It's of, massive. you see? Uh,
1: yes, and look at
3: the trickle-down effect. Uh,
0: give me a second, uh, uh, about- Martha. Martha, just give Before. me one second. Yeah.
3: Um, Would you be able to call me back?
0: Yeah, okay. Sorry, mm-hmm. so let's uh, carry on talking about uh, substance abuse and the impact.
1: And the trickle-down that so the person is traumatized, they find alcohol, a pill, something that, that kind of soothes, and they don't realize that they're not healing, they're just masking, and then and then look at the trickle-down effects of alcoholism and drug addiction in the families in the relationships in society and economics. So the
0: inability to cope with our own suffering on the inside
1: mm-hmm.
4: makes yes. us
0: want to escape and numb that pain, as you said, and we yes. turn to alcohol, drugs, and there's a whole array of things we can turn to. All of which then the mind clings onto, see?
1: Yes, because it helps. It feels as though it helps. It feels better for a bit. It tricks us.
0: If we can find another way of helping people heal themselves, Mm -hmm. it could have such a huge impact on the whole substance abuse problem in the world too.
1: Absolutely. And normalizing. The fact that we all face trauma of some sort, we have difficulties of some sort, we have days and weeks and that we feel a little weaker than others, and if we could normalize that so that we don't judge ourselves and don't judge others, then we're so much likely more likely to deal with the issue.
0: Yes. And people don't realize that our reactions to other people in relationships, we think it's about the butter or how clean the kitchen is, but it's never that, right. is it? It's about... No. <laughs> All yeah. the stuff that's happened before, you right. know, uh, and that comes out in all our relationships. So it impacts all that. Okay, sure, sure, but sure. Underlying this, so these are the ways in which I mean, I'm sure there's a much longer list. We've just touched the surface of it. Mm-hmm. But underlying this, there are certain patterns of thinking which are common to all human beings, which make it more, com- um, which facilitate the impact of trauma. And one of them is our conditioning, right? Sure. So all, all our past influences are stored in our mind. And yet we are not aware that we've been conditioned and we become attached to our conditioning, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, we do. We just follow along and don't realize that we're, we're caught in a loop almost. Yes. With, with, our, with our conditioning and our society. So our, our family of origin conditions us, but then our school and our society also conditions us. And our society is mixed. Our society, in some ways, doesn't look well on trauma; doesn't give you an opportunity to be real about it. In other ways, it, it does. It does accept, but but in some ways, it can be very difficult.
0: I think one other thing teams have found very com- that's common among all people who suffer is they think they suffer alone. Yes. They think that it's unique to me. I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm unique in my suffering. But once you and realize maybe- that 50 to 70% of people have suffered mm-hmm. from it and it's impacting their lives in ways that they also may not be aware of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it mm-hmm. allows you perhaps to take ownership of what's happening, you know, to you. Sure.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree with Laura um, that we often don't talk often, open and honestly, and that's a catch 22, isn't it? Because we want to be more open. We want to have a society where we can be real and share these things. But it's not always safe to do so.
0: Yes. We talked a little bit about what trauma does to our nervous system, Martha. And you mm-hmm. were you want to expand on that a little bit.
1: Well, sure, sure. It's that links to yes, the um the, the nervous system the, the brain is always on guard watching for something that could be a threat to us. And if we've had previous traumas then that gives the brain more ideas of what to look for. So if someone beat us up early in life and then now the brain is scanning and it sees someone yelling or someone getting a little anxious, the brain is going to latch onto that old memory, determine that, Oh no, you're in threat right now. And then it's going to let the brain know danger, danger, up pops the sympathetic nervous system. We're now in fight, flight, Freeze or fawn, and everything is dysregulated because the brain, based on previous experience, determines that what is happening right now is a threat. And it's all based on what the brain has learned from our past. Yes. And it can be wrong because we may not, I mean, haven't you felt threat some, or felt a little threat or anxiety? Sometimes you go to open an email from someone that you're concerned about hearing from and it's just, you have the same reaction as if a bear just ran in the room. It, it's kind of crazy how the brain can do that.
0: So one of the themes that have run through the Human Wisdom Project and Happier Me is the need to question our own thoughts and feelings, because mm-hmm. our brain tells us they're true, but they may not. Yes,
1: be. yes, yes, so yes. this
0: the, the feelings are real, but the danger they point to may not be. And I think Lynn okay. uh, Staley, uh, who's on the call, um, told me that on one of our conversations. Um, now, the other thing that happens is we identify with our trauma. hmm that becomes Martha O'Manoch. Oh I am my trauma, because that's what our mind naturally does. It identifies with its own memories, and that becomes the me. Mm-hmm. And as you know, we become attached to our identity. So then it's hard to let go of, right? Do you find people in your practice who have suffered but struggle to let go of that suffering?
1: Um. Yes, absolutely. I have found that. And um, I may have a client who thinks she has an appointment. I may need to let her know. We don't have remind her we don't have one this morning. Okay. But um, but absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. Once people latch on, then there's a sense uh, there's a sense of that's who I am. And our identity within ourselves of who we are, we hang on to that. It's, it's a survival we have to have an identity we all have one and so if we feel as though we're losing it we almost can begin to feel like we're not surviving we we just aren't and that beyond a shadow of a doubt that's that is very difficult for a person to deal with
0: yes if i wasn't say a spine surgeon which i Mm -hmm. would what would i be kind Mm -hmm. of that's the kind so if i wasn't my trauma or my history of trauma what right. would and you're not doing right. this consciously. It's your mind is yeah. unconsciously operating in the background doing this to you, right?
1: Right, 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 exactly. And so you don't know it's happening and it's pushing you, but you still can, a person can feel frantic or panicked at the idea of letting go of that because it feels like they're letting go of their identity or their reason for living. It, okay. it It's a this pretty big thing and
0: this mind that is suffered become it's much more easily hurt is that oh yes you see yeah that understanding can help us be more compassionate towards people around us who are in our lives who are easily Mm -hmm. hurt and we couldn't easily blame them for all that but once we understand Mm -hmm. that how so this trauma informed relationship if you like is much more compassionate You know. i
1: like that i like that yeah what a <clears throat> what a great idea a trauma-informed relationship oh that's huge <clears throat> if we can be informed about our own trauma and our partner's trauma or our children's or anyone we're working with we're going to be so much better capable to understand what's happening to keep to keep thing uh, small issues from turning into huge fights yes and to be compassionate a, throughout. Oh, what, what a great, I had not thought of it that way. What a great idea. I love that idea.
0: And the other interesting thing in all this is my experience of trauma is my experience of it in the sense that you might not think what I've suffered is any big deal. It's
2: true.
0: You, it's true. Right? I might be the child that my, my mother might have favored my sister, for example. Right. I might feel right. that, though it may not be true. But I carry that memory with me and that hurt. So it doesn't matter whether it was real or not, but it's true for me. And that's shaping my thinking and my behavior.
1: Exactly. And we have to remember that with children, yes, they may face some horribly and egregious traumatic events. There's no question there. But they also may face something that's not horrible and egregious, but their brain, their little child's mind doesn't know how to process it in the truth of what's actually happening. So mother goes to work every day because she has to provide for the family. Father's not there. Mother's working two jobs. Child feels alone, abandoned, left all the time when really she's taking care of him the very best she can. What really is the child?
0: Example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so our away, perception creates our yeah. own suffering yes whereas we always assume our suffering has come from the outside it might have but in many cases yes. it comes from our own perception you see
1: yes yes yes
0: and yes. Uh, sanjay said that if 70% of people have experienced trauma we should probably assume its existence in most of our relationships
1: right? i believe that's the case i do believe that's the case
0: yeah. um, and again trauma informed relationships could be just so much healthier and
1: I love, I'm going to start using that. <laughs> love that idea.
0: Okay.
1: All right. We have trauma-informed yoga. Why not have trauma-informed relationships, right?
0: <laughs> so that leads us to our most important question for this mm-hmm. conversation, which is, okay, what can we do now that we have this understanding of what, see, we can't escape what's happened to us, but right. we can be in charge of our own healing. And in the end, it all requires a shift of mindset to understand Mm -hmm. what our mind has been doing to us and to Mm -hmm. shift our mindset. Once you shift it, you can be free.
1: Yes. So let's
0: take a first gentle step and start. How would we begin to get started on healing ourselves, for example?
1: I think the first piece is what we're doing right here, just becoming informed of what is of what is happening in our brain. There's an awful lot of freedom in understanding my response, my trauma response. It's not me. It's my brain doing this. It's a neural network. It's 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 what's happening in here, but that's not me. That's not my heart. That's not who I want to be. I think there's a lot of Um, a lot of peace and a lot of even hope in understanding, okay, this is happening up here, but this is not who I wanna be or who I really am. Yes, separating
0: yourself from that. It's happened Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. me in the past, but that's not me right now. It doesn't have to be part of my identity. And that might link into Tim's comment that our personal experience of trauma is not seen by the world.
1: Mm -hmm. No, that's true. So That's we gaslight
0: true. ourselves about our own sense of trauma in the sense that mm-hmm. we, yeah, we don't admit it to ourselves even.
1: Right. We don't We don't even realize. I mean, sometimes the traumas can have been small enough or we've, as you mentioned, we've been gaslit or someone else has gaslit us mm-hmm. to make us think, oh, that was nothing. I should be okay. But then, when we finally are able, hopefully, some way something happens that we we learn. Oh, there's more to it than what I originally thought. Yes. That gives us an opportunity to start to start realizing.
0: And we talked about the need for compassion for yes. ourselves who suffered. The yes. suffering is real, mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. others who are behaving mm-hmm. in ways that we might think are really odd. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, our compassion right. leads us to understand that their behavior is automatic, without their awareness, linked to mm-hmm. their previous trauma. Perhaps
2: mm-hmm.
0: they have no understanding or awareness of what's hap- what their mind is doing to them. Do you see what I mean?
2: Yes.
3: Just I'm,
0: as we have no awareness of what our mind is doing to us. Mm. No. Okay. So, I. In the, in the Happier Me app and the Human Wisdom Project, we talk about three steps to learning more uh, about what's going on in ourselves. And the first step I think is to become aware without resistance or yes. shame or guilt of what's happening. So I'm suffering, right. this is how I feel, this is the landscape of what I'm thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. The second step is to take ownership of that. And that's really hard.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I say take
0: ownership, it means, or do you want to speak about ownership, Martha, why that's hard and what that means?
1: None of us really want to believe that our problems are of our own making, and especially especially when we're talking about trauma, we don't want to, uh, to believe, we want all the blame to go on the person who's hurt us, understandably. And sometimes there's, there's massive amounts of, yes, the blame, the responsibility needs to go there, of course, for what happened to us. But that per- very often the event or that person that did something, they really can't be the person to help us heal. Very often the healing still has to come within ourselves. And I find that to be incredibly empowering. Because if a person has to wait on the person who hurt them to heal them, how, to, how does that that may never happen?
4: Never but if
1: we, right, right. But if but when we understand, no, the power is within us. That is incredibly empowering. Yes. But it can be difficult to let go of what we want to blame. Yes. If life hadn't yes. been so hard, if someone hadn't abused me, if that rapist hadn't been there, if that house hadn't burned down whatever we want to put the blame there and it's difficult to to really let go of some of that
0: yes so as laura said beautifully Mm -hmm. waiting for someone else to heal us means we'll wait forever yes we have to heal ourselves but the first step in that journey is awareness but the second Mm -hmm. really difficult step is to take ownership which means this is what has happened to my brain this is the way my mind has reacted to all that Mm -hmm. So it's in my gift to change. And Mm -hmm. for that, I need to say, I'm not gonna blame anyone else or myself. I'm just Mm -hmm. gonna be curious. And step three is to ask a question. What's going on in my own mind?
1: What's happening?
0: What's happening? Why is my mind reacted in this way? Why is it Mm -hmm. held on to this memory and not Mm -hmm. held on to other memories?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have so many memories in our life. Why is it not held on to other memories?
1: Right, why, right, right. Why does this
0: become part of my identity? How is
2: this shape yeah, my life?
1: Yes, but the, I think it, we need to remember that the brain does tend to hang on to the events that happened along with massive amounts of emotion. So that, and what, what brings the biggest amount of emotion? Fear, terror, upset, anguish. Those are the, the big emotions. And so those are, tend to be the things we remember more easily.
0: So two interesting points, one from Sanjay, which says we live in a society where heads must rule. This prevents us (laughs) from owning our own problem. Everyone, someone's head has to roll for what's happened.
1: Right. And we don't want it to be ours.
0: Yes, we certainly
1: don't want it to be our head. So we want somebody else's head to be rolling.
0: Uh, Jenny said that one of the common coping strategies of a young child who's been abused is to blame themselves. And that's yes. well, child, adult. So many yes. women who are abused in the mar- in their marriages believe it's their fault. Yes.
3: yes. Uh, if yes. it was, if
0: they were different, then the men would be treating them differently. Of course, it works the other way around too. I'm
1: not saying that. No. but I can't tell you the number of women clients that come into my office and they feel like they are to blame. Their husband has had an affair. The relationship is not going well. What have I done wrong? They want to know how can I be better. Yes. It's it's sad <laughs> yes
0: yeah. and uh, Robin Johnson uh, who's one of our coaches from Philadelphia said that I realized by clinging to my trauma was a form of narcissism do you want to comment on that Martha
1: what a oh yes that that's a beautiful idea yes because that does mean the world all revolves around me it's all me it's all me it can't be and, and you're all bad And I am wonderful, I am just fine. So it certainly can't be that I have any thinking adjustments to make of my own. I certainly, that can't be the case at all. That would be at the heart of a narcissist. Yes.
0: And you can understand, again, the narcissist isn't to blame for that. It's the way their mind is reacting to what's happened in an automatic way without their own awareness. So awareness is the key that unlocks everything
1: it's all protection. It's protection, we're continually protecting ourselves and don't realize it. So we've got the raincoat on or the shield around us to protect ourselves because of the past trauma. And what does that do? That locks other people out or hurts them or something. (laughs)
0: Let's move on to talk about the importance of forgiveness. Such an important part of healing. Someone has done something to you or you think they've done something to you.
5: Right.
1: Right
0: And the importance of forgiving them for your own healing, see, to realize they're just human like you are, they act from Mm -hmm. self-interest, from their conditioning, which they're not aware of, you see, and they have the same emotions you do. How can we facilitate this process of forgiveness, Martha?
1: I think one thing with forgiveness we have to do is we have to break through the stereotypes and the beliefs about forgiveness that are not true. Forgiveness does not mean that it's okay what that person did. It doesn't mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we're fine with what they or We even accept as acceptable what they did. It means that we choose to let go of it. We choose to let it be their, that was their problem that did that did the the trauma and i will deal with the injury i will now I, w- I will put the band-aid or i will take the medicine or i will do the healing um and i will let go of what they did that was their action so it's a separation and when we're separated from the person in that way who did the thing then um then that becomes more that's to me that is forgiveness i let go that's on you you deal with it however you choose that's yours it's you and god or you and yourself I'm dealing with me. To me, that is forgiveness. There are
0: children who blame their parents for how they are. I mean, so many children blame their parents, right?
1: Yes. For how they've
0: turned out, how they feel, you know, mm-hmm. all of that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That's actually more and more um, happening more and more right now. And p- children decide they don't like how they were raised. And so then they'll sep- completely separate them. So many estranged families right now because it's more common and acceptable for children to say, well, you're not working for me. So I'm just going to separate myself from you. And that is not what we're talking about here. We're not, trauma is different from, I don't like how you raised me.
0: I think compassion again is so important. Right. To realize your parents are also human and they also make mistakes just like you do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, are you blameless completely in your own life in terms of how you've acted in the world at all times? Of course we're not, you see?
1: Right. And see, so, I think if we can become compassionate with ourselves, yes. then it's easier to become compassionate with others. I realize I mess up too, I'm not blameless. If I can then have compassion for myself with that, uh, I did the best I could, but uh, now I know better. Then we can have that same compassion with others. But its I think it starts with having it toward ourselves
0: okay i'd like to invite lynn staley now who's on the call to talk a little bit about tapping and the importance of that lynn in um helping us deal with the acute feelings we might be having and how we can use that to begin our own journey of healing would you be happy to do that
5: i would so it's really top of my mind's awareness because i'm presenting to teenagers today who are very stressed about their final exams.
2: Mm.
5: Um, and and so I talk in, in a way, and and for some of you on the call, this may be a little simplistic, but uh, Martha, you talked about this part of our brain that has as its only function to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly scanning the horizon for danger, but it doesn't make the distinction between between what is perceived and what is oh. real. And it also doesn't wear a watch. And so it doesn't know whether it's something you're remembering from your past, whether it's something right in front of you that you have to deal with in the moment, or if it's it, it's imagined something that you're anticipating that will be stressful. So I introduced tapping in this context of your body. And this is so normal, is reacting to something stressful. And we all have that threshold when stress overwhelms us and sends us into that stress response, fight, flight, freeze, defend, blood rushes to our hands and to our feet. What if we could talk to that part of the brain in a language it understands, which is acupressure and vibration? And then I'd also talk about how we in Western thought call it stress mm-hmm. in In China, they would call it blocked energy. And sometimes that's a great way for teenagers to conceive of this. If you're talking about your life force being blocked, what if we could help it along by tapping and regulating the stress response by causing an integrated brain again through this vibration. And there are more than 300 quality studies that show why and how this works. So it's evidence-based,
2: mm-hmm.
5: and I love this idea that with a little bit of knowledge mm-hmm. and our fingertips, we can actually influence our neurophysiology. And so I I I'm very enthusiastic about it. I'm hoping that these teenagers uh, pick up on this and can actually start using this to change how they feel in their body. And we all, you know, how do we know that we could apply this? It, you know, our emotions are our guidance system. Our physical sensations and symptoms in the body, our thoughts or limiting beliefs—those are all tapping targets. A way to kind of bring our bodies kind of back to that center.
0: So, let so are why... some techniques, maybe, or a couple of techniques that we could
5: use. Well, um, tapping. Yeah. If you wanted to, you know, look into tapping, I would start with the tapping solution. Um, there's a way to learn the setup and then the eight points on the body. Um, and there's language involved. This technique invites you to be honest about what you're thinking and feeling and where you're feeling it in your body. And I think, um, Dr. Tim mentioned earlier, this idea that we minimize our experience and so I love EFT or tapping because it invites you to tell the truth. You get to say what is your authentic experience. And I know we talked earlier about, you know, we all we all have some kind of trauma. You know, I see it maybe, you know, it's gonna be unique to you. If you have a sensitive temperament, something that feel you know, is traumatic to you, somebody else, it might just be able to brush it off. Um, but you would apply tapping by telling the truth at the setup point. Um, and the, the language always starts with even though, even though I have this problem, that's the truth for me. And John D Whites was uh, is one of my mentors. She was one of my instructors. And so she would be a fabulous resource if you wanted to learn more about this. And then you move to eight tapping points on the body, the inner eyebrow, The side of the eye, under the eye, under the nose, this crease in your chin, this fleshy part of your chest, under the arm about three inches down, and then the top of the head. And
4: Mm -hmm. you would keep
5: going around and around telling the truth about what is bothering you. And it sends a signal, a calming signal to that part of the brain that it can stand down you tell the truth about your unique experience and it calms the nervous system under stress. I've had the experience where I've done this with a group of students, 40 students in a class, and they are like jello by the time we're done. They're so calm because this has moved that blocked energy in their system. I have to do something to jazz them back up to go to the next class. So I really... um. I really think it's a fabulous technique. Um, And it's not the only one, you can use breath. Um, There are a lot of techniques out there, but the reason I think this is so versatile is it can address the stress right in front of you. It can calm you so that you can step into something that you anticipate might be stressful. And the most potent way to use it in in my opinion, is what Martha was describing initially, is that loss and, and these experiences are cumulative. I use this um, visual aid that we all have these experiences. And if we don't have grown ups in our life who help us reconcile them as they happen, they link to each other. And by the time we're in midlife and haven't reconciled all these things, we might be looking at that one link that just got added to our chain. And we're saying, why is that the thing that tipped me over? Well, mm-hmm. it's not. It's mm-hmm. because it's an accumulation of all of these things that we subconsciously stored. It's it's about safety. It's about protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. What if we could reconcile these things? Or what I teach teenagers is let's keep from adding any links to your chain That's by addressing analogy.
0: them. Yes. Then thank you so much. That's really beautiful. Uh, the eight techniques and your visual representation mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the chain. Mm-hmm. So Martha, moving on, uh, and thank you for that, Lynn. Um, what else can we do? What about journaling? Do you think that's helpful?
1: I think journaling is very helpful. It helps us to get our th- our, our brain is, um, trying to, is trying to resolve the trauma. And so that's why it keeps bringing up feelings. It's, it's trying to, to let us know this is a problem, we need to work on it. And so it keeps, it keeps on reminding us of the issues until it determines, the brain determines that we're working on it. So when we start writing it, the brain grasps, oh, she's taking care of the problem, oh, and it stops pounding us so much with the reminders because it senses that the issue is being taken care of. And also as, so as we're writing, that also tends to calm us a little bit. And as we continue to write, then in a calmer state, our brain, our prefrontal cortex, our, our higher order problem solving part of our brain is able to think through and process the event from a calmer state. That's actually also what's happening with if you're tapping through a specific trauma, then your brain now comes down to a calmer state. The As you think about the event that used to upset you, the tapping is keeping you calm. Now you're thinking about the event or just like in writing. You're thinking about the event, but you're thinking about it with the prefrontal cortex coming back online in a way that it does not when we are activated. So now it comes online and it's able to think through the original trauma in a way that we could not do it when we are activated. So our, our nervous system has calmed. Our prefrontal cortex now is working for us instead of taking a break being offline <clears throat> and it's thinking through. And so the, the journaling similar way, the journaling, we, as we calm and we're writing more and more, then our prefrontal cortex can begin to work and kind of work through what really happened. What did it really mean in the trauma? Actually, maybe I did do all that I could do. Maybe this wasn't on me the part that happened to me, maybe someone else did it, but I did all that I could. It's not my response it wasn't my fault it wasn't that I brought this on myself and that happens as we process but we have to process from a calm state and we tend to not do that because when we think about the original trauma we tend to our nervous system tends to get activated again so it's really imperative we find a way to calm the nervous system then think through it again from a different state yes which changes the way it, it changes the neural network it changes the way our brain sees the original event
0: yes okay so mm-hmm. part of the calming one was tapping but there's also yes. meditation breathing yes exercise getting outside, getting
1: outside taking a walk nature.
0: you know we talked nature. about nature mm-hmm. but the other thing i found that really helps martha is that when a memory is triggered Mm-hmm. many times past is the past but it small things will bring it on and suddenly yes. floods the body with emotion yes you can meet what rises in a particular way by just being with it not mm-hmm. engaging with it like you'd watch these birds fly across the sky just yes. watch yes. they'll come and they'll go and just like that this feeling will rise and it will go but if you engage with it and say you know i was wrong or they were right, right. Or whatever it is it just gives it more life. And if you can meet a feeling like that, without language, without thinking, it just Yes. Absorbs. And it's our memory of it, you see.
1: Yes, I say that there's a difference between observing and absorbing. Yes. And what tends to happen is we see the thing, a person says a thing, and we immediately absorb what we've heard instead of, and, and we absorb the feelings and we live in the feelings immediately instead of observing what happened, and it's a a practice to learn how to uh, create a bit of space between what happened and what I'm gonna decide about it. And so creating that space allows us not to absorb all the feelings and absorb what just happened, but to observe. And as you're talking about, then use our wisdom to know, I understand what's happening here. I'm not going to jump into the fray. And I'm going to decide now what I'm going to do. Do I let it pass? Is there something I need to do here? But creating that space, meditation creates the space. Being intentional to learn what's happening in our brain helps us to create the space.
0: Yes, I think that's such an important question, Martha, which is what can I learn about mm -hmm. my own mind Mm
2: -hmm. from
0: what I'm experiencing?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We never
0: ask that question, you see. Right, just quick to blame somebody, but if we ask, "Hey, what's what can I learn about myself from what's happening?" Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that again opens the door to a deeper mm-hmm. wisdom. Yes, you know, if yes. it's okay, and also to perhaps realize that life in the present is the only life we have, and right now you might be safe. You have Perfect. your health, you have your breath. There's so many things to be grateful for. Perfect. You are Perfect. not your past. And perhaps to re-examine our ident- sense of identity and realize that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, our past, we don't have to be defined by our past.
1: No, no, no. no the person when what's you are
0: now is who you mm-hmm. are. It's not your past. Mm-hmm. You know what I
1: mean? And what's difficult is, for us, is that we're working with these neural networks... It's not just an idea sometimes of just understanding. Oh, I will just understand this wasn't my fault or this was my past. As someone with PTSD has the intellectual understanding that the event happened in the past, <clears throat> but they're still having the massive response right now in the present. They understand it, but their brain is still reacting to the neural network. And that's why it's so important to come to understand that this is why it's happening. And there are things you can do to help calm and rewrite that neural network.
0: Yes, yes, so important. Mm-hmm. I think we've more or less come to the end, but I wanted to ask you a question, a practical question. Say I've suffered in the past, say I've been abused as a child, and I've got mm-hmm. all this stuff going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what advice can you offer me? How can I cope with that? What's, give me a simple roadmap to follow.
1: If you are my client and we're dealing with something like that, I'm going, to, I'm going to find a way to go back to the event, if they remember what it is. Very often they don't even remember what it is. But if they remember what it is, I'm going to go back to the event, but I'm gonna do it in a way that we don't reactivate. We don't upset, we don't um, bring it on as though it's happening now. So I'm gonna have them tell me the story in tiny bits and pieces, a sentence at a time, And then I'm going to bring them back to, as they say, a sentence about the event. um, The man walked up. I saw the man walk up to to my house. Then I'm going to ask a question about something in this room to keep them grounded. Tell me the name of the book on a shelf. How many pictures are on the wall? How many lamps? What color is the wall? Things like that. So we're going back and forth. We're tearing up that story and we're allowing the brain to revisit it but without getting, yes, um, Laura says the grounding is crucial, yes, without reactivating the nervous system. As soon as the nervous system gets reactivated, it blocks the process of now being able to heal. It's just back in the loop again. So we have to go back and revisit the trauma or even something similar, a similar time to the trauma. But for a massive trauma, we go back and we revisit keeping them grounded, allowing them to tell the story and me asking questions about the story in tiny little increments, because the man walked up to my house. That's not threatening. That's just a fact. And if we can take all the little tiny pieces and then allow the person to talk through them, then a piece of what it does is it allows the memory that has gotten a little trapped in the limbic system, it's all attached to the emotions, it allows that memory to move back to long-term memory where it's attached to words, but it doesn't feel it. And people who have done this can then tell you about the story of their rape and they don't feel it. They remember it very well, they learn from it, but they don't feel it when they tell it. And I can tell you some stories that if I told you, you would think, Oh, that's very upsetting. And I feel zero emotion about it because I'm just giving you the facts because the data has moved to long-term memory. It's attached now to words, not emotion. It's just a story and it's a part of a story of my life, but it's not, I don't feel it any longer. And therefore, I'm also not as likely to be triggered and and jump into a dysregulated nervous system when something similar happens or something reminds my brain of it. It's sitting in a safe place. So I Martha, don't. So that's what yeah. I do with a client. I work with that. And I teach them how to do it themselves yes. so that they can work through their own traumas. Yes.
0: So the memory doesn't go away, but the impact it has on our lives, that goes away. Yes, 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 you know,
1: that's the beauty of, and there's actually one more thing that I would really like to put out that's incredibly important. We know that when someone faces uh, a very upsetting traumatic experience, if they can work through this process within the first 72 hours, they're 70% less likely to develop PTSD. Okay. so working through this process like with it like like after a rape after a house burns down after a, a murder something horrible after the bad things then um and then someone within 72 hours allows them to break this down into tiny pieces without throwing out the emotion without saying oh that must have been horrible for you oh were you scared oh how we don't do that we let's look at the facts of what happened. Let's say it over and over again, in while we're staying grounded, and it helps the brain move the memory for the trauma to where it can reside without being connected to all the emotion. <laughs> and we can and we can help facilitate um, many, many, many less cases of PTSD. This is why our first responders need to understand this sort of thing. They're seeing trauma daily, and eventually it catches up if they're not learning how to. How to process this in a way that it doesn't like create that chain that she was talking about earlier. As we process, then we won't create that chain.
0: It's about meeting something fully, isn't it? If yes. you can meet something fully, then yeah. it doesn't leave a residue until yes. tomorrow. But we don't know how to we need to learn how to meet something fully. Yes. Okay. So Martha, I'm gonna pause here now and just take a minute to talk about the Happier Me app and its resources. And then I want to open it up for everyone's comments. And there's some great friends here, and i am invited them specially to come and share their particular experiences. So um, we've just launched the new version of this app. Uh, it's called Happier Me. And I think many of you are seeing it for the first time. So there's a Feel Better Now section, which includes uh, lots of tapping and breathing and meditation and so on. And then it invites you to go deeper to explore the topic that you are interested in, in more detail. Um, There's daily practice. There are eight sections which you can explore, including mental health, work, relationships, and so on. Um, This is just a magazine with some new content every day. Find answers very quickly takes you to where you want to go. For example... Why do we feel sad when someone dies? Well, it leads you to the module on on sorrow and loss. And then if you want to go deeper, this section called Pathway offers a five-step guided program to grow as a person and lead a happier life. So it starts with a calm mind, which we talked about, then to understand yourself and how your mind works, and then manage your emotions and live your best life. We've got lots of resources, including a long list of podcasts and events. If you look at our list of past events, many of you will recognize that you've participated in many of these. So it's a library of almost uh, 60 events uh, that we've done together, and they're all accessible to everyone. Okay, so I'm going to leave that now and open the door to um, questions and comments. So I'm going to invite Laura. Laura, could you start the ball rolling? Uh, Because I know You've got a particular story and it's very poignant and moving.
3: But when you're in it, you're in it. And actually trying to understand anything is actually incredibly hard. Trying to reach out to somebody else to say, I am so in it, I actually haven't got the words to be able to tell you. So it will just come out like, my mother used to call it a verbal puke, um, not affectionately, <laughs> well, affectionately said, but you know that was the reality because I didn't have the words. And I would sit there. And I think the longest time was with a psychotherapist for about seven and a half hours until wrongly or rightly, he started throwing stuff at me to provoke a response because I didn't have the words.
0: The person who's suffering, their extent of pain is something other people can't comprehend yeah but given that you went through all that what mm. tips would you have for someone who is going through all that what will help them come out see
3: I, I think and it's it's something that I've said and ironically I'm, I'm in the middle of writing something now about it and I think it's one there's probably five in all but there's three that immediately speak speak to me and that's three p's that are about pace patience and persistence and and i think in in a world that is really busy really chaotic trying to find our own pace is incredibly difficult because we get caught up in the busyness of the outside world and get drawn into I, don't know, I suppose the vibrations for want a better way of describing it um, of the outside world and so we have feel we have to operate at that level but in reality we have to find our own level of vibration our own pace and that is a really hard thing to do because the world tells us in order to achieve we need to do this, have this, be successful, and success looks a particular way. You know, unfortunately, the education system sets us up in that way because you know it tells us that if we follow one and one equals two, two and two equals four. You know, follow the leader, aka the teacher, success will be ours. Follow the rules, you know, even more so, success will be ours. The challenge then becomes, what do you do when life? doesn't go to plan because we haven't we haven't got a plan for when it doesn't go to plan okay so this is actually...
0: number 1 what's your second point you said so patience
3: I mean, patience because we all learn in different ways um and you know one of the things that i observe very closely is there are people who will quite happily throw themselves into you know something and go i'll just go do and you know, i call it the Throw the bomb in and see where the pieces land <laughs> scenario. They'll do. There'll be others like myself who will think their way through something. And that's okay. We get to the same solution. Um, but we just approach it in different ways. Both are okay, they're just different. And your so third me, thing
0: is uh, persistence. You've got to yeah, realize that this is gonna
3: take time, Questioning right? Questioning yourself. saying yeah. Say, where's the <laughs> state? You know what can I do differently? Ask yourselves those questions that just keeps you being persistent.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate Bye that. Bless. I know that's not easy to share because, you know, Tim, Tim, is, is, Tim, are you still around? And I'd love to share here your two pennies if you are.
4: Well, yes. thank you, Martha. Great, great presentation. Um, as always, Manoj, you bring things that are very real to light and I appreciate that. For me, uh, as a professional, I spent many years studying the stress response and helping people to calm their central nervous systems through EEG biofeedback and other methodologies, chiropractic care. Um, But I'm on my own personal journey now. Um, Learning that I'm autistic uh, has helped me to uncover an awful lot of what's happened in my life. Course, we normalized that you said before children think it's their fault and everything. So we then place everything on ourselves. Everything that happened to me was normal. It was okay. And only now am I really uncovering layers and layers of bullying and intimidation and gaslighting and denial in. of my experience. Mm-hmm. And Laura, I hear I, I it brings up a lot for me when you talk about being nonverbal, right? When it when it gets too much and just shutting down and not being able to express the shutdowns, the meltdowns, etc. Now, when you were talking about narcissism, to me, it, 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 it started to hit a really slippery slope. Because right now, my journey is about me, I need to learn about me and I need to be able to have the space to be not narcissistic, but a little self obsessed, so that I can give myself the freedom to go in and say, Wow, these things actually did happen. And it's not me and stop gaslighting myself and stopped expecting myself to be the way everyone said I should have been. And that can seem like I'm spending an awful lot of time on me, but it's a necessary component so that I can look back and say, I understand. And I can forgive myself for all the ways that I've gaslit myself. And now every time I go into that shame spiral, say, okay, that's coming from the place that I didn't think I had room to be this person that I had this experience. And ultimately it's allowed me to come out and now put my energy out back into the world again. But I had to I had to spend a lot of time on me. Yes. And it's that's part of that safe right, space right. you guys were talking about.
0: Martha and I were talking about how important it is to go into what's happened in the past, but not be completely, you know, swallowed up by that so that your whole life is spent there. You're going to examine it, but then you're coming back out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, Robin. Robin's my friend from Philadelphia, and um, we have done we have done many journeys together, and we have a great
6: connection. Robin, what's your take on what's happening here? First, let me say this was an amazing conversation. So thank you, Martha Van Dam. It was just, I mean, you were very clear, very concise. I mean, it's been amazing. It was like having all the books I've read about this stuff come to life. You were just amazing. And, uh, and Tim and Laura, I really get what you guys are saying. I mean, for me, I'm a certified life coach I'm focusing on harmony and spiritual development. But the reason I put that comment about narcissism, and at some point it can be very narcissistic, is because as a life coach, you know, we can focus on beliefs, behaviors, and you can get so caught up that all you do is analyze everything. Mm-hmm. And even when I was getting everybody around me who created problems for me, I am a victim of. Um, divorce, sexual assault as a kid, everything you can name, financial abuse, emotional abuse, I mean, all of it for years. And so by the time I got into life coaching in my 40s, I just spent all my time getting into my own emotions. So even though I had people apologizing for what they did, I didn't let it go. Because at some point, then I'm like, And it was only recently with my mother. She says, I've apologized for everything. What else do you want me to do? That's when it clicked. And I heard my mentor from Life Coaching say, you only have one problem. You're too self-absorbed. So at some point, we have to get beyond that. What helped me get beyond that was my own version of narrative therapy, journaling. I did a series of, uh, every time somebody pissed me off and made me mad, I'd go write about it. I'm mad because they shouldn't have treated me like this and that, but what I did was allow myself to express, ask where, where has this happened before? Took myself back to little Robin, three six nine twelve. 12, let mm-hmm. her express the mm-hmm. situation at that time. Mm-hmm. And then I did my own version of reparenting. You're right. That shouldn't have happened. You didn't deserve that. But, but then let the little one decide okay i'm not putting up with this anymore i can take care of myself and i can and so i am redoing the own my own neural pathways and it Mm -hmm. wasn't until recently i learned that that is why i always felt better after doing my own process Mm -hmm. so i would say for for everybody on the call and for everybody that we encounter we've got to encourage people to tune into their own emotions to use the triggers from the traumas For our own individual healing. Mm -hmm. My relationships are growing exponentially now Mm -hmm. as a result of this process. I just believe the Happier Me app has a bright future because Mm -hmm. this conversation needs to be had with with everybody.
0: Robin, thank you, my darling.
6: Wow. May I say
1: something? May I tag onto that? You said something. something While you're
0: there, I want you to tell the story of the O.
1: Okay. I certainly will. And it tags into exactly what Robin just said. You said something so important, Robin. And by the way, thank you for all the kind words, but, but you said something so important and that is that something will happen now and we get all flustered and triggered and it just blows all over us. And we don't realize that it's not about the now it's about something that happened. Days, weeks, months, years, decades prior, and our brain is still responding to that, and and uh, similar to what you're. So, so it's valuable, Robin. Then, when we have that feeling to to ask ourselves, wait, this this I'm having a much bigger reaction than actually might be warranted for this situation. What must this be about? And if we can go back to when in my in my life have I felt this same way? Have I felt the same? And if we'll tag back, our brain will tell us, if we'll be quiet enough to give it time, when have I felt this way? When did I feel this way as a child? And give ourselves a space very, very often. We'll get a little bit of a memory. And so what you're asking about menage is, now this is not a massive trauma, but I knew that I've struggled most of my life with a sense of, I just don't measure up. I just don't do, I won't get it right. I just I just can't, somehow other people can, but I just can't seem to manage it. And so finally, at some point I started thinking, when when, when in my life as a child, as a young person, did I feel like it didn't measure up? I just couldn't, I I wasn't as good as other people. Then I went back to high school and middle school in my mind and I came, I went as far back as I could and came to what is probably one of my first memories as about a five or a six year old, don't remember exactly, but I was in a preschool. And um, you're, I, at least in the States, when we're learning to write, we have this landscape-like paper with real wide lines and big fat pencils. And so we're trying to make the letters that the teacher is giving us. And the teacher came on my paper and she made this perfect O. And so then I tried after her to make these perfect O's and I couldn't do it. I could not make, you know, they were long, they were skinny, they were under the line. I just couldn't do it. And I realized I've always felt like, yeah, and I couldn't even get those O's right on that paper. So I, so this is one of the, I realized, and I've realized this through tapping. That's what I was doing at the time. So I'm, I'm tapping. I, I'm thinking of when have I felt this way before I come up with that idea and that memory. So then I start tapping about that memory. I just can't do it. She does it great. Something wrong with me. I can't get it right. And as I'm processing it, I realized I wasn't supposed to get it right. I was learning. No five-year-old knows how to make a perfect circle. Now I know that's that's like, duh, that why didn't I know that? But my brain hadn't gotten that message about that memory until that time. And as I work, continued to work through and realized that teacher didn't expect me to be able to do it perfectly. The teacher was just wanting me to learn. She wasn't judging me about my ability. So I'm as I'm tapping, that entire memory got rewritten. And now I look back and I fully understand with complete rewriting of the neural pathway that I was learning and I was just learning. And that's what learning looks like. And, and it has completely changed the sense of that particular failure memory completely. Yes. Um, so Robin, thank you that what and if we do that I had a, a cousin who died young um, who died at 35. her sister was not able to grieve it like three months later her goldfish died and she falls apart and her husband says, you know, this isn't about the goldfish. this is this is the brain now finally allowing you to face something from your past. Th- this happens to us over and over again. If we can ask ourselves, why am I so upset? What What is this about? And allow to go, when have I felt similar to this? That'll take us down a path very often to unresolved, unprocessed traumas, difficulties in our life. And then we have it in our power to do something about them and make an amazing
6: change. Can I add one thing to that process that mm-hmm. I do? Not only do I find out when and where, But there's a central question I always ask. What is the belief I'm holding? Yes. What's the belief? I'm not good enough, I don't deserve it. What's the belief I'm holding that's keeping these situations that are similar in place? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to add that as part of the journaling and narrative process that I'm using.
0: So you you both have said two beautiful things. One is to observe our reactions,
6: Mm -hmm.
0: to ask what Mm -hmm. can I learn about myself? Yes. From those reactions. Is my reaction warranted by the butter dish being the way it is, or, or whatever it might be, or the goldfish dying, Martha?
2: Right, right.
0: And to go back, as you say, and process whatever trauma may have occurred. Mm-hmm. But it begins with the simple things being aware, taking ownership, asking a question, learning, not blaming, and so mm-hmm. on. Jenny, have you got any insights to offer us today?
2: There is a massive difference between little T traumas and big T traumas. And that hasn't really been made enough emphasis put on that. A big T trauma, someone asked for a definition of, of what you call a trauma in EFT. We class it as a Udin, unexpected, dramatic isolating and no coping strategy if you've got all four components there that becomes a a traumatic event and everything around that traumatic event can be stored in a trauma capsule that you have no idea about smells tastes colors along with everything else And very often, that trauma capsule is buried very, very deep inside us that we don't know anything about. And then when someone's life seems to be going really, really well, everything Mm -hmm. seems perfect. They've just got themselves going brilliantly. Something starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And the trauma capsule opens, they might get triggered by something red. They've got no idea why or a smell or something like this. And the trauma capsule is now opening because the body can now deal with this and the brain can now deal with it. That's what it believes. And the trauma capsule starts opening and these weird kind of things start taking off.
0: Thank you. And I think what I'm learning from you and from Laura and is that when you're in the middle of it it's so severe that it's really hard even to begin to imagine that you can be healed and if someone wants to help you how how can they do that and even if you haven't suffered trauma you're going to meet people who have Absolutely. as as doctors for example Lee, you know in your practice you'll meet so many patients who will have suffered in this way and having this understanding can help us have much more compassion for our colleagues and for our patients, you see. Uh, and I think this understanding should be in a part of medicine. Do you want to speak on that a little bit, Lee?
3: Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's just something that's quite an eye opener. Um, yes, and as you said, as doctors, we are in the profession of compassion and it's absolutely necessary to understand this aspect with patients and with colleagues particularly and i know there are some doctors who've been through um, trauma professionally and it's probably not acknowledged and it impacts on them um, professionally in the long run and i think it's something that um, uh, is quite big and and um, unacknowledged
0: yes yes and you know yeah medicine particularly but all human beings we want to live with compassion and the reason there might be so little of it in the world Martha is because we're all suffering and we're so preoccupied with our own suffering so if we can find ways of helping ourselves heal and supporting others to heal maybe there can be more compassion in our lives towards ourselves and to others and you know the healing not just of ourselves but relationships but of the world can begin you see that's why this is so important you know
1: absolutely absolutely
0: yeah okay well thank you very much uh for martha for your time and all my guests from around the world and we'll of course edit this and create a capsule for everyone to share onwards thank you so much have a